Before we jump in, want to make sure everybody out there is signed up for our free horse players newsletter. Best way to keep up with all the content via In The Money Media. Go to inthemoneypodcast.com slash email to sign up. Exclusive content, all kinds of good stuff, and it helps us out. Just do it. Just do it, people. Also, if you want even more In The Money Plus, lots of extra written content, extra audio content on there. Great way to support us. Just $15 a month in the moneypodcast.com slash plus if you want to learn more about that. And maybe the easiest way to help us of all, subscribe to our channels. So if wherever you get your podcasts, in the money media, the the what we call the black feed has all the shows on it. Subscribe, rate, review, do all that stuff. And our YouTube channel is growing. Lots of extra content on there as well. Go to YouTube, look for in the money media. We really appreciate your support. On with the show. Hello and welcome to what we're calling the simulcast edition for Preakness Day of the In The Money Players podcast. I'm your host, PTF, in the hotel room in Baltimore still with a belly full of crab. I had a wonderful breakfast this morning. It was sort of a crab eggs Benedict type of a thing down at a place called the the Blue Moon Cafe. If you ever go, people, tell them to hold the cheese. Uh, Maybe it's just the Italian in me, but cheese and crab doesn't go so well together in this context. But the rest of it was delicious and we made it work. Anyway... Basically, been studying form since 6 a.m. and very excited to bring my findings to you all over the course of, hopefully we'll keep it to just over an hour. We kick on with a returning guest to the show to talk about this Belmont pick six. You know him from many places, including in the moneypodcast.com and the microphone at uh, Sam Houston Race Park. Nick Tamaro, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great, PTF. Ready for a big weekend of action and glad that we're headed towards that uh, coveted second Saturday in June. <laughs> we... That's right. It ain't far now. We get to see you in person. We're really looking forward to that. Now, you and I took different, taking different approaches since Kentucky Derby, which can be such a busy time for people who do what we do. I've been grinding along the whole way, just just trying to get to the finish line. You actually you gave yourself a little freshening this week. I, I thought that was a, a smart approach. Are you, are you back uh, all rested and, and ready to tackle these next few weeks? I'm rested and ready. Am I up to snuff just yet? Not quite, but I'm getting there. But yeah, it was a good, uh, good little respite, little vacation with the family. So ready to rock and roll. Excellent. And let's rock on with this Belmont pick six. I thought this was kind of an interesting sequence. It's not um, stakes laden or anything like that, but a few places I thought we might be able to to make a stand and, and have a shot to do something a little interesting. We kick off with race number three. We've got three and up claimers at the $30,000 level going six furlongs on the inner turf. Nick, how do you want to light this candle? Uh, well, don't we start in race number six? Six, seven, I, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Yeah, I, th- I think I said race six. Did I say something different? If I did, I, I was wrong. Three. Yeah, you said race three. So I, oh, I, race, I don't know. If- just a synaptic misfire. We'll just just leave it in. People forgive us during. The- <laughs> it happens. No, I, I did. I did this to. Uh, I did this to Howard a couple of months ago. We were doing the golden hour pick four and I started talking about the wrong race. And he's like, doesn't it start in a different race? But no. So it starts in race six, which is at six furlongs, which starts to pick six as well. So, um, you know, this is probably a spot where a lot of people are going to single with the nine cable channel. Rudy Brissett does not have a lot of horses in New York. 
And I, I guess he sent a, a bit of a string up now. Of course, he won last Saturday's Peter Pan with We the People. And um, for people that aren't that familiar with him, he's a former assistant of Bill Motts. And I think by this point, you probably should be getting a little bit more familiar with him. He saddled the favorite in the Alabama a couple of years ago and talked Verve to me. So uh, Cable Channel looks like a horse that simply has been facing better. And I think has the good fortunes of running into a weaker than par $30,000 two life field. So, it, you know, you, you, you kind of have an idea of what you'd expect and, when you consider that that one of the one of the likelier win candidates is probably a horse like Box of Joe, he comes out of a brutal race, one that he almost had to win. Mister Tonic, the uh, second place finisher that day, was a first time starter for Joe Sharp. It was a pretty pretty soft bunch, top to bottom. So I'm expecting Cable Channel to get the job done. Should get a good trip stalking the pace on the outside as well. Any backups for you, or just nines, and you'll come back in the pick five if it goes wrong. I mean, I might try Storm Shooter as one backup, just probably best speed sprinting on the turf, which is always an angle. But the thing is, the favorite has plenty of speed, so I don't know how much you want to back him up with other options. Those were the two that I had as well. I did put Storm Shooter on top, perhaps being too clever by half. Just thought looked an interesting candidate for the turf with a couple of siblings to win on the surface. Seems right. well suited to the cutback second time off the layoff. It was just enough angles at the prices. I, I went 5-9. Not much to add on cable channel. Just looks super strong on form and figs. One I'll mention, probably more for next time, but one that I will definitely use vertically in this race is the 8 me and sap. And the angle here is just having seen, feels like year after year, these donk horses having a tendency to wake up this time of year, getting back onto the turf. This horse probably needs one, possibly needs one, but the best races aren't far off, and I think the form's a little darkened. You, you buy that case at all on me and Sap? Yeah, I do, and, and I think actually, <clears throat> excuse me, his two races against winners were both better fields. So he really has an opportunity, I think, to take a step forward in this spot, and, uh, and he's going to be a square price. Let's talk about race number seven. It's a three and up allowance race going six and a half on the dirt. I suppose this is our, our featured race on this Saturday at Belmont. I thought that the six Prince James looked eligible for just an absolutely perfect setup with a stalk and pounce type run from the outside. I guess I'm looking for a big start for the pick six uh, for Rob Atris by picking uh, Prince James in this spot. I did also want to use Fitzpatrick, who I thought was coming out of a tougher allowance race, and that was off the bench. Has a nice closing kick, and especially if Prince James attacks early, maybe that sets it up for Fitzpatrick. I liked it 6-3. Nick, what are your numbers? Yeah, it's going to depend, I think, on how aggressively Musical America is ridden by Hem and Harkey, um, because the stage left and 3-2 and zone each have some speed, and Musical America got involved in a really hot pace two starts back, and that kind of juiced things along that day. We'll see how much he wants to get involved this time around. But I agree with you. I think Prince James gets an excellent setup here and looks like he's coming in with the best credentials. It's not often that Rob Atras claims a horse from Randy Persaud and the horse runs three straight races with a lower buyer speed figure than he did in the race from which he was claimed. But he, it's actually the case here. And, and the fact of the matter is he's run well in all three of those. So including the second place finish behind Repo Rocks, who came back and ran in the run happy last week. That field was just a little bit too tough for him. But I think Prince James is kind of a now horse in a way. And as you said, the outside post, the ability to stalk and pounce, this feels like it might just be an armchair ride for Manny Franco. Let's hope that the now horse doesn't become the then horse. Any you want to list as backups in the notes? You know, I have a little bit of affinity for 3-2 zone now in the care of Ray Handel. This is a horse who got good quickly at Aqueduct last winter back in early in 2021. Took advantage of a big rail to break his maiden, but then came back and won one other than a 12-1. to And prior trainer Mariah Montoya ran him in the Pat Day Mile. And I think that's why we caution oftentimes against running horses in races that are just a little bit over their head because it kind of ruined him. And he never really got right again. But 
the uptick in buyer speed figure last time out, second off the layoff, now going to Ray Handel's barn. With all due respect to Mariah Montoya, this is a trainer upgrade. This feels like a horse who might outrun expectations. Five to one's a little short of what I would want, but I would include him because if he drifts up to eight or 10 to one, obviously you won't know that when you're playing your pick six, but he ends up becoming a really interesting horse at that price. Six two for Nick. And you could get a little bit of a clue as to, uh, oh no, you uh, it won't help you in the, in the pick six. In, in the... In the pick five, potentially, um, you have an opportunity in race seven to look ahead to the doubles. That's just a right. little trick sometimes for some of these horizontals that, that can help you with a runner like that if you're really concerned and want to see the horse taking money. Just a, just an extra little thought there in race number seven. Let's talk about race number eight. Three and up New York bred maidens going seven furlongs on the turf. And Nick, we'll keep it with you. Well, you know, this could end up being a big weekend for for Louis Laz of uh, Nove fame, who has Exotic West running in today's uh, DuPont Distaff at Pimlico. He has marinara sauce, a first-time starter here for Chad Brown. I have learned that over the years, don't discredit Chad Brown horses, whether they have pedigree or not. This is a horse who doesn't exactly have an overwhelming pedigree. Lao bands are, are pretty subpar on turf, but, I mean, every single ticket you have, you put in has to use this horse because you're going to get four four to one, three, three and a half, four to one or so, um, simply because there's really nobody in this race to latch on to. And I don't know about you, Pete, but the likes of Bucker 2 and Dream Point really didn't do much to me, for me. Feathers Road is the horse to beat. In his most recent turf race, he actually got the best run of anybody and ended up finishing second. He was entered in a race that uh, on opening day that ended up getting won by Citizen K, who was also in that field that he finished second in back in November of last year. And he probably would have been one of the choices, but of course, Linda Rice can't let any opportunity to scratch go by. So she opted for this one. Maybe he needed a little bit more time after that last race. He's kind of the horse to beat, but boy, he is definitely not the horse to trust. I'd probably use them equally. My off the wall horse, and I probably need to just separate myself from him altogether is excursion east who i think is a turf horse he got into some trouble last time out he might be a little bit better at a distance like seven eighths his second turf race was good enough for me to believe there's some ability there and i'm going to give him one more try so i'll use those three equally and back up with the one and two who seem like uh like horses that you want to include and uh, and i would probably go a little bit deeper here with the backups and find a way to include the nine and ten given that we have a single in the first leg as a lone a and the second leg as a lone a this is an opportunity i think to get a little deeper that's a good point question before i give my thoughts on the race by percentage not by number of scratches but by percentage of horses scratched more scratches on the naira circuit the last five years linda rice or wesley ward linda rice <laughs> yeah. What I mean, Wesley by now by percentage of by percentage of horses entered is, is was your question. That's yeah. a good one, actually. Yes. That's I mean, obviously in gross number, Linda eclipses him yes. by a mile to her only circuit. But yeah, Wesley's up there, and and we're going to talk about one in a couple of races. It's likely going to at the very least have a jockey change. But yeah, they, <laughs> they both are uh, they're both pretty infuriating um, when it comes to scratching, especially you know I just I, and I don't need to go on a tangent about this obviously, but scratching horses that are going to be less than five to one. I mean, to me, you know, you, you can't with a straight face, go to the racing officer, the stewards and ask for a scratch. You can make up, you know, you can come up with an excuse, but it just blows my mind. <laughs> we see this race pretty similarly. I'm, I was a little bit more narrow than you, but I have sympathy for the idea of spreading in the race. I put feathers road on top, ran great in the lone turf outing, closing against the flow in a race that's produced good form back on the green second off the layoff. This is a horse that, that I dig. The two central pride I thought was a little bit interesting as a wire threat in light, one of the ones that you had as a backup. And then I agreed with you about the first time starter, the eight, 
who just, I don't really, I mean, I'll be honest, I don't know much about the horse, but as you point out with these connections, I'm not sure I need to know that much other than I don't really feel like getting beat in this leg. I called it six to eight. And with that, we'll move on to race number nine, where we've got three and up New York bred quarter claimers going six furlongs on the dirt. And I'm hoping the morning lines are right here. And they usually are from David Aragona because I thought the seven double shot looked a little bit overpriced to me at that number. Had an excuse last time. I thought just not breaking at odds on fits well on the body of work. And I thought would be running on well through the lane and a horse that's in light. The nine Golani bridge I thought was interesting as the best potential speed from the outside. And the one Cecilia Mike makes sense on figures and form and has, I think one of the more underappreciated angles in all of handicapping because he's got something that a lot of these lack in at least a modicum of consistency. I called it seven, nine, one. What do you think, my man? Yeah, I didn't see it terribly differently. Now, Cecilia Mike was entered very cheap last week at Monmouth. I don't know um, if you have the the scratch. I don't have it at my disposal at the moment, but I want to say this horse was in for 10 or 12.5. Um, so I, I guess Bonnie Lucas, who of course is deputizing for Wayne Potts, saw that there was going to be a New York bred sprint race coming up and opted to go here. He obviously is a, is a, a perfectly fine fit here from a class perspective. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I didn't have anybody uh, terribly different. One horse that I thought, in fact, I, I picked the nine. So I, I like Olani Brigade. I'm, I'm on the Gustavo Rodriguez off the claim bandwagon. He's done extremely well. And I think he's generally claimed with intent. And I think this kind of horse is always very dangerous when it comes to claiming because he has speed. He has kind of a coveted outside post. So I'm expecting a big effort. One horse that I'm going to use as an A and look to see if I can maybe get a bit of a of a price in there is uh, Tapazirans, who he, probably not going to be a big price, nine to two on the morning line. He was much too close to the pace last time out. This is a horse who they got a little bit more aggressive with in his recent starts. He's a settle and one run type. 0 for 9 at Belmont is not the greatest of signs, but a lot of those races were uh, were not exactly the right fit class-wise. And another one that I was going to find a way to include at a price is Gandy Dancing, who comes back on short rest, ran on the slop last week. That was a race totally dominated on the front end by Listen to Your Heart. I don't know if he prefers a wet track. He's in light with Omar Hernandez Moreno again, and he's actually run some races that make him competitive. He might be more of a placing chance than anything else, but he's a horse I'll use as a backup. So, yeah, my main horses were one, six, and nine, and I'm going to make sure that I use the four and seven as backups. All right, I like it. I'll get that recorded for the plus people. And uh, we will move on to our next race in this Belmont pick six, which is race number 10. Three and up New York bread allowance types going six furlongs on the inner turf. A little short of time here, Nick, but we've got time to at least give a few thoughts on these last couple of races. Who do you like in here? Yeah, you know, this is a race where I have to pick the one Cotton because Cotton in his last turf race received one of the more abysmal rides you'll ever see. And, and I encourage you to go back and watch this replay. And, and Eric Cancel is a guy who has improved as time has gone by, but he really struggles in turf sprints because he just doesn't hold his position well enough. And that's exactly what happened on Cotton. He lost position consistently, ended up losing ground going into the turn, and his race was over. So I have to pick Cotton on top and give him another opportunity off the bench. But this is a very contentious race, and I'm sure I'll probably leave a horse out that you like. Uncle George seemed obvious to me. The blinkers going on maybe help him get out of the gate. It's kind of funny to me that Christoph Clement is 30% at this meet and has 10 wins. I feel like there have been a lot of horses that I thought underperformed to an extent. Now, I don't think Uncle George underperformed last time out at Aqueduct. He got out of the gate very slowly and was trying to rally into a pitifully slow pace. So I, I'm going to include him. I'm going to use the nine deep cover as well. I think of the two 
uh, speedy types on the outside. He and Golquist, one of them are going to go. Golquist made an effort, was very good, did ride kind of a strong inside. This is a horse who I think merits a lot of inclusion. And I'm assuming that Sheriff Bianco is going to scratch based on Jamie Spencer being named and he's riding four races in England on Saturday. So we'll see if Wesley maybe has something up his sleeve when we get a late jockey change. Yeah, I that is a weird one. And it really affects the race to me because I like Sheriff uh, Bianco in this spot as a presumptive best speed. Could be a trip that uh, th that he likes. But the Spencer booking is just, is it a joke with the racing office? It's its not very nice to racing fans. I can tell you that much. But we'll we'll see what happens with that. And yeah, scratch. Uh, but then why bother entering at all? So it's it's all <laughs> the whole well, thing. If you wanted to scratch when he drew the 12, then just tell him I, I don't I don't want to enter. Right. Can't yeah. you do that? Or or is it is there Fox something though. that I don't know about where it's too late at that point? It's like, well, I'll show you. I'll put a rider up who's not going to run, and then we'll just scratch later. <laughs> I, it's, there's no way this is going to work in a way that I'm going to feel great about it, I think. Is, How is to gain true. friends and influence people is not to uh, name a rider that has a 0% chance of riding. <laughs> Unless they've, you know, so, you know, done something with the space-time continuum. Wesley's done some impressive things in his career, but I think they'd all pair uh, compared to that one. We can agree. It, the other reason it annoys me is because I want, if the horse is in the race, I do think we can actually, and I know it's, you know, often a tricky deal to play a turf sprint for a, for a meltdown, but I want to put Citizen K in the, in the winner's circle here, especially if Sheriff Bianco is in the mix. I just think he's the best possible closer and should be a very solid price Without him, without him, I don't know, and I'm tempted to get very, very spready in the race. So I, this is one where I'm going to do – I'll put some numbers down. I'm going to write my numbers as 612, but uh, jury very much out for me on this race that, that uh, you know, I, I don't know. I really don't know what to do. But, I mean, you make very good cases on the 1, 3, and 9. I'm sure I'll be working those in as backups at least. We'll, we'll see how it plays out in the 10th race on Saturday. Uh, we'll do a quick word on the nightcap. Three and up Phillies and Mares, uh, New York bred maiden claimers at the $40,000 level, going a mile and a 16th on the turf. Nick, how are we going to get paid? I mean, it's tough to trust a horse like Tingling Mint, but she looks better than these horses based on her first two starts. They came against maiden special weight runners, now back off the layoff in for a tag. Christophe Clement, good off the layoff. If you don't completely trust her, it feels like your other horse is just an Iquist, whose prior turf races both came against open maiden special weight company at Fairgrounds in Keeneland. She probably has an edge in, in having an ability to be a little bit closer, um, whereas Tingling Mint's going to be coming from pretty deep in the pack. The mile and the 16th on the Widener generally lends itself to pretty much any kind of running style, so I wouldn't be terribly worried. I'd feel pretty comfortable closing it out with those two. Certainly the, the most logical. I had a goofy idea I'll throw in here. The number six ink blot. I thought showed a little bit of ability last time. I thought that was a tricky run. You know, I love it when they get on turf and improve the numbers. Second off the layoff here. And I think it's going to be a wild, any kind of price in this spot. I was very much with you on Justin Nyquist off the big class drop and uh, just, just looking very, very logical. And I thought I had the opportunity to maybe get the jump on the other favorite and, and that that post could be a little bit tricky, and I just thought Tingling Minute, you know, is going to probably be shorter, shorter than the two to one. Certainly, have no problem including in some backup combinations. It's not like I don't think she can win. I just thought those others were a little bit more interesting. Uh, you think I'm out to lunch with the sink blot idea, or you, you see it? No, I like a horse that's, that improves clearly on a new surface, and now second off the layoff, also got Lasix for the first time and ran better. So I think there's upside. All right, good stuff. Let's segue directly to our next segment of the show. We're going to see if uh, producer Craig is on his toes here uh, and can create us a graphic real quick for this uh, for this Lone Star pick five. Oh, look at that. He, he is. Th this is why he gets the big bucks, folks. And there you see, if you're watching on YouTube, our, our next guest, 
back with us to talk about her beloved Texas racing. She is Jessica Paquette. Jessica, how are things? Everything's great, guys. How are you? I'm doing very well. I like to be in the middle, though, so I'm going to shift it around. You only see that if you're watching on YouTube. The, the pod listers have no idea what I'm talking about. But, yeah, it's uh, it's great to have you back on these airwaves and great to talk to you about another night at Lone Star. Uh, we're going to do the pick five. Nick, since I botched this so badly with Belmont, where does this where does the sequence begin? Let's just check and make sure I have it right this time. <laughs> Well, first and foremost, hello to Jessica and glad to be going over the sequence again. It feels a little bit like old times, like Sam Houston every week. But this sequence starts in race six. So that's going to go at about 3.55 central time, Saturday afternoon racing at Lone Star this meet. So that's where we're going to get it going. I like it. We've got Texas breads, made claimers, 7,500, three and up fillies and mares going six furlongs. Jessica, as our, our, our new arrival on the show, we'll get you talking right away. How do we want to kick this thing off? Well, I do kind of fancy myself the master of cheap claimers. And that's really what this race is. Number one, she's naked, blinkers on, kind of some cheap speed here. And I think that's good enough to get the job done. She is the one of this field that has shown the most ability at this point. And I think a sharp break is all she really needs. All right. Looking to get it started off with a speed ball from Jessica. Nick, what about you? What do you like here? Yeah, it felt like between she and the six, uh, Golden Hammer, the winner would come from that group. Golden Hammer comes out of two open company races at Oaklawn, drops now down to the $7,500 Texas bread level. And, you know, Jessica would under would know it having handicapped Sam Houston on a daily basis. But there was a $7,500 Texas bread claiming race last night that Ron Katara won at seven. Oh, to that's five. good for him. At seven to five. So you good. can, you Whoa. know, when you <laughs> get down the class, I will admit that I, that I bet the horse when he was three to one and I, they were going around the track and was like, oh dear, seven to five, but hey, got it done uh, without a problem. But yeah, highlighting the point that you get down the bottom of these class ladders with the Texas breads, it gets a little thin. Gotcha. Well, let's pivot right away to race number seven, where we've got three and up Philly and mare claimers, $25,000 level going a mile on the turf. Nick, we'll keep it with you. Yeah, this is an interesting race, and there are a couple of horses that we saw actually run pretty well at Sam Houston at our meet, including the Six Holy Creed, who chased a pace and weakened against three life uh, allowance horses the last time we saw her. I think she has every right to be a major contender here. The favorite is likely to be one of the two Broberg entrants on the outside. We'll see if he ends up going with both um, in Glitterary and Gurkha Gold. I thought the Glitterary probably would get the nod, being that she's dropping in class. She's also coming back in nine days, whereas Gurkha Gold ran more towards the beginning of the Lone Star meet, so I'm not going to be surprised with Rye Eichelberry named on the ladder if Gurkha Gold is the one that ends up going. Um, she'll be a She'll be a kind of a square favorite, I would say, five to two-ish, and, um, and, and that you know puts her in contention. But I, So I, I'm not going to go very deep. I'm going to use Holy Creed and the eight, presuming that the seven does not go. Um, I wanted to find a way to squeeze the three into there. I just wonder pace setup wise, if it's not going to be as much as it was as good as it was last time out when she really got a strong pace to run at, but did run quite well. Also the seven goes, would you want to include, or, or are you going to fade? I'd uh, probably use all three if the seven goes. Yeah. Just because uh, of the class part of it. Gotcha. I'll easy enough to leave in. And then obviously people will know if, if the horse is scratched, the, the, you know, for, for notes purposes, I'll just leave them all. Let's leave it that way. Jessica, what about you? Where, where does your eye go in this claimer? Well, the pace really does kind of dictate this for me a little bit, but I do like a couple of horses with a little kick from off the pace. Landon's Congo, I think is actually pretty interesting. Two wins at Lone Star, a good turn of foot. We'll need some pace to run at. Really nice to see Danny Sorensen back in the irons and getting some live mounts. Danny got hurt. Uh, I mean, he gets hurt quite a bit. Um, he's been riding forever. 
as I know, if you do it long enough, you get really hurt. Uh, and I have to say, uh, this is a little bit of uh, off tangent. When I came to Sam Houston in January, I was feel like this was before I was allowed back to ride and run or anything. And I asked Andy, like, how do you come back from these injuries? Like, you've gotten hurt a billion times. And he was so nice and like gave me kind of the kick forward I needed when I wasn't allowed to do anything. It was real sad about it. So hoping to see him in the winter circle. Landon's Congo, I think, has a good enough chance. I like Malibu Midnight. I just don't know if this is the kind of horse that wins. This is the kind I use in the exotics. I, I want to find room for him here, but I don't know. He just, he seems like he's kind of stuck in these conditional sort of races. Gurkha Gold makes a lot of sense. The back class coming out the same race as Malibu Midnight. If you like him, I think you like this one and should improve second off of a little freshening too. All right. So I'm going to call it one eight with the three as a backup and a little note that says more for underneath. Does that sound about right? That sounds good. All right, good stuff. Let's talk race number eight. We've got uh, three and up claimers going six and a half on the dirt. Nick, we'll throw the ball back in your court for your thought on this field of eight. Yeah, the horse to beat here to me clearly is Horn of Plenty. I was actually walking with uh, Matt Abear and, and CJ Johnson when this horse got claimed for 25, and he was really surprised that he got claimed for 25. And I said to him, well, it had to have been Broberg, right? And he said, yeah, I wondered if this horse might be headed back to New York if Carl's going to make another foray into New York racing. But he brought him right back to win a two-life, now looks to make it two straight, and he found a really kind of soft three life at the 17-5 level. When you're a when you're a player, a volume player like Broberg, he doesn't care at all about losing this horse for 17-5. He's out now if that's the the case. So he ran well eight days ago. If he comes back this quickly, you'd imagine that he's planning on him running through the conditions as quickly as he possibly can. I do think that both Mr. Hands-On and Autocratic are a little interesting. They both were asked to do something last time out. They're really not capable of doing the field autocratic ran against was, I mean, it was a snake pit. That was a really tough bunch. And, and he had been a really impressive winner the prior time at Sam Houston on a day really where the inside was good. He made this big sweeping move around the outside to win going away. So I'd give him another shot on the bounce back and uh, Mr. Hands-On is a dirt horse. So I'm not going to hold the, the turf race against him. I'm just not quite certain his dirt races are good enough, but I'd include him as a backup in the pick five. Four one with six as a backup. That's the plan. So here's another tangential question for, for both of you. If you took, if you had an unfrozen caveman or cavewoman horse player from the 1970s uh, to, to get unfrozen in, in 2022, what would be more surprising? The way horses have been campaigned, like how, you know, back then they, they prized recency. A horse hasn't been out for three weeks. Oh my God, where, where have they been? Uh, you you got to give them one. Would it be that element or would it be how class drops are perceived? And the idea that back in the day, you know, there are whole books about avoiding avoiding all manner of droppers because back then it just didn't make financial sense. And now it makes, as you pointed out with some of these Broberg horses, Nick, all the financial sense in the world to drop these horses and these horses that you would have touched with a 10 foot pole back when, you know, even when I was getting in the game are now very logical bets, which, which changed more surprising to the 1970s horse player. Go ahead, Jess. I, I think it would be the recency thing. And I think I, I think uh, the caveman or cavewoman would be most surprised by the way the breed has changed, that many horses are no longer able to really withstand actually being racehorses. Uh, I, I think I think that would be the most surprising. And that's such an interesting conversation we've gotten into about triple crown changing dates and things like that. Got to breed better, sounder, more durable horses. It's a great point and a, definitely like a whole topic that needs to be addressed at much more length when it's not just something I'm throwing off the cuff at you guys on the fly. Um, Jess will keep you in mind to, to bring you back for that one for sure. Nick, what do you think? 
Yeah, I agree. I think it would be the the fact that horses just are campaigned very differently. Um, I think a lot of people would also say, well, what are we supposed to do on Monday and Wednesdays if there's no racing on those days in New York? But, um, you know, I, so I think that that would be the biggest one in, in that horses are just not, you know, the, the idea that the Derby winner is not coming back because he needs more time and he's in active training at the time is just absolutely mind boggling. So it's I think it would be very hard for people to to quite understand that. And, you know, look, some of the guys that have been some of the biggest names to train horses change the game and some of them didn't change the game in a positive way and and you know the one that i would refer to most frequently is bobby frankel i mean bobby frankel won a ton of races and made his mark as a as one of the greatest trainers of all time but also instilled this notion that you're using rags and sheets and 60 days to determine when your horses can run and you know we're worse for it we really are it's a fair point it actually reminds me very much of baseball and being at the ball game yesterday certain changes that might make it easier for you to with with your particular style or whatever easier to win more more efficient you know taking more time between pitches being the example i'm thinking of that might help you win the game a bit more but my goodness it makes it rotten for the fans all right let's get to jessica's thoughts on this eighth race before we we sprout off into a whole other podcast I mean, Nick really covered it. I think Horn of Plenty, a very logical favorite. This horse fits the Broberg mold in a lot of ways. And I'm trying to beat him with number six, Mr. Hands-On, who, again, not a turf horse. He was ambitiously spotted, not only on the surface, but also that class level last time out, too. I think he's much more, this is a much more reasonable spot for him. He's, for the most part, a consistent, respectable type of horse. I don't know if he, I, I agree with Nick, I don't know if his numbers are really good enough to win here. But if Horn of Plenty takes a step backwards, I think Mr. Hands-On could capitalize. Uh, I'm writing down 6-4 is your numbers. You happy enough Sounds with that? Race 9, 3 and up, allowance, Philly and Mares, 5.5 on the dirt. Jessica, we'll keep it with you. This is a tough group. Uh, this is, and it's such a speedy group. I was trying to find a horse I liked that could come from off the pace. And the horses that do have a little kick from off the pace, I do not like. So I am going with some tactical speed. I went with number 5, Take Charge Woman on top ton of speed here but she does have the ability to stock and rate just a little bit i think happy sailor and shelby oh uh or shelby uh really kind of hook up early all right i i think that sounds i think that sounds good so you think it's basically a match race in between those two or you think or are you much more bullish on take charge woman i'm gonna use them on my ticket i i, I think it, i you know you wonder if the deodora horse kicks loose early if she's just a little bit quicker out of the gate that's shelby uh, I'm kind of backing myself up with all three of them. Gotcha. Gotcha. So uh, give me, give, just reckon those numbers for me. One Five, three, and seven. Five, three, seven for Jessica in race nine. Nick, how do you see it? Yeah, this is one of those scenarios where if you don't take Take Charge Woman as the alternative, you could really get stuck in in, uh, in kind of a rabbit hole because the two closers on the inside both have races that are good enough to win. They just haven't run them recently. So yeah. Take Charge Woman kind of gets the run of the race. The blue bonnet pace was scorching. And yes, and it's, so the pace in the blue bonnet was scorching and I don't want to hold it against take charge woman that she was close and tired. The winner came from last and circled the field to win going away. So she really gets the run of the race. I think outside stalking the of the horses that could be making up ground late that I want to give a try. Stormy is blue had the most go against her in her last two starts at Remington last year. She's just going to have to run better. And whether she's going to be ready off the layoff, Mike Whitelaw is probably looking long-term at getting this Philly some fitness before Remington. We're about three months until the Remington meet being an Oklahoma bred, but she's a Philly who I think a mayor now, I should say, who could step it up enough to be maybe a fringe player. All right, good stuff. Let's move on to our nightcap. 
here at Lone Star on Saturday, 720 Eastern for this three-year-old allowance race on the turf going one mile. Jessica, how are we going to get paid? I really like this race. My top selection, actually my strongest opinion on the card is number six, Dude Perfecta, the Dam, the Lot of Thunder. It was a really nice race mare. She's produced a couple of good runners, including Backside of the Moon. Turf form has been respectable. I think this is a horse who's continuing to develop a little bit. We'll see um, if that's the case. Also like Schmooze, makes sense trying the turf off of that female family. The Dam's out of, uh, the Dam's by Art Schiller. Plenty of pedigree for the grass. And Tatanka, the maiden win on the lawn. Sam Houston was very solid. So Dude Perfect is my A and I'm going to back him up with the seven and the one. I like the sound of it. And I like the sound of a 10 to one on the morning line. Best bet. Certainly an interesting horse to key some things around in the pick five. Nick Tamaro, what do you think is going to happen in the nightcap? Yeah, Tatanka was a really, really solid winner. Two starts back. That came during a flurry at the end of the meet where Brett Calhoun was winning left and right. And, um, and I actually thought his first race against winners was good. The pace was very strong in there and, and he stayed on relatively well to be fourth. He looks like he probably can sneak away from this field a bit early. Uh, we'll see if, if that plays out. It, it appears that way on paper. Dude perfect as a horse I chased in every single race at Sam Houston. You and me both. <laughs> and, uh, he was just, he's kind of an excuse machine, right? He, he doesn't get out of the gate or he ends up with a wide trip and I'm a forgiving type much to do me too. And, uh, and, and I love Bilotto's thunder. And, uh, and I remember betting backside of the moon in his turf debut is probably the last t- ticket I cashed five or six years ago, <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm going to use him again. I'm not giving up that easily. And, and one of the horses that I would probably uh, find a way to include as well, ran the red lights turf debut was better than it looks on paper. And they didn't exactly come from way out of it that day in the midst came from way out of it to be second. But otherwise this horse kind of made two moves to get position tactically. Mindy Willis is quietly having a very good Lone Star meet. I would include this horse as a backup. One, six, A-line, two, B-line? Two, four as, a, as Bs, yep. Okay, two, and we'll throw the four in as a B as well. All right, good stuff. We're going to do something a little different. I am going to take a break. Nick is going to take over to host the next segment of the show. Jessica, you're done for the day. So uh, we, we appreciate that. We appreciate that uh, immensely. So we'll, we'll, let you, uh, we'll, we'll let you all do that. And uh, very much look forward to seeing you again soon. Three, two, one. Before I officially pass the baton to Nick and Dallas to talk about Mammoth on Saturday, just want to remind folks that Mammoth is back with a new updated crop rule. Crops are back, now consistent with the, the general HISA rule as far as that goes. In May, racing Saturdays and Sundays, one of my favorite tracks. June, they're going to add Fridays. June 4th is sort of the, the official launch of Fixed Odds. It's also the Pick Your Prize Challenge. You're going to want to be there. It's going to be a really fun crew. Uh, Matt McVolge, who you'll be hearing from later, will be there. I'll be there. Lots of contest players are going to be there. And it's just a fantastic contest to win seats to other contests and cash. 20 NHC seats, four BCBC seats, and cash. Also, and you're going to be hearing a lot about this in the next segment, the Fixed Odds Wagering is now here. Win, place, and show only to start. You lock in your odds. The odds you bet are the odds you get. And one last little shout out for the earliest pick five in the nation, Monmouth's win early pick five, win early and win often. Up next on the In the Money Players podcast, I am here. Pete has taken a, he stepped out just for one segment. He'll be back to close things off. And I am joined by our good friend at BetMakers, Dallas Baker. Dallas, how's it going? Nick, good. Greetings from a very foggy Long Beach Island. So hopefully the, uh, the fog today is an indicator of a good day at Monmouth County tomorrow because we're due for some good weather. It's forecast and 
hopefully we can have our first decent weather at uh, Monmouth this season. I guess with uh, being in the fixed odds business, you're a little more interested in the players being foggy than more so than the paramutual uh, <laughs> operators are. Yeah, well, exactly. Well, hopefully we can get a bit, bit more of a crowd than we've got there. And uh, there's been a definitely a buzz on track over the last few last three race days. So hopefully they can uh, extend tomorrow with a little bit more of a crowd with uh, the anticipated much better weather than, we, than we've had to have. So yeah, uh, bring it on. And uh, yeah, let's, let's, Let's let's start betting. <laughs> Definitely, things are going to heat up for sure on the Jersey Shore in the coming weeks. Well, let's look at the win early pick five for Saturday afternoon, which of course begins at twelve fifteen. It's it's not the earliest pick five you're going to get on Saturday's wagering menu as Pimlico will get going a little bit before that, but. I thought this early sequence Dallas was pretty competitive in the first race. At least it looked to me like we might get a mild favorite in number two lion charmer. This is a horse who really shouldn't get a ton of support at the windows, but is likely a market leader. Yeah, it's, um, it, it's actually quite an interesting card, I think uh, for the, for the day in general, but yeah, um, lots of interesting angles throughout the day, I thought. And yeah, um, couple of interesting runners throughout but in the first race uh at the moment we've got um we've got the bottom one favorite to, at the moment nick it's uh live your best life as a five to two favorite or three dollars fifty in the decimal language just in just ahead of uh lion charmer using uh the peter fornatale uh um system it's a fat five to two or three dollars eighty in the decimals uh and then the next line of betting is doku at five uh at five dollars which is four to one and nice of me, Mr. Mazar, they're around about the six to one mark or seven dollars or seven dollar fifty mark. So yeah, competitive race to start with. How you how you seeing it? You know, it's gonna be interesting to me seeing how players handle fixed odds. And obviously it's an emerging market, but if if players are as put out by one bad race as they generally are in, in the toad situation, because obviously Live Your Beast Life's last race was bad. And and how much he'll bounce back on the class drop coming down from New York really remains seen but he's a he's a dangerous horse in a way for both ends he's dangerous for players he'd probably be dangerous for a bookmaker if you put him at too big a price because his back form just looks too good yeah I mean it's a typical type of horse Nick that you probably keep safe early in the betting um, and then check the trends but if nothing's coming for it it's the type of horse the bookmakers will reach for that's another bit of vernacular for um, for and when I say bookmakers, there's only one bookmaker at the moment, Monmouth Park. But uh, generally, that so uh, you'll keep it safe early, and then see what the market forces are. And if it doesn't look like there's much money for coming for it, that can that could get from five to two to seven to two to nine to two very very quickly. So it's a sort of a, a keep safe proposi- proposition to start with. But if there's no real no real feel for it, it'll be chased out and could easily, you know, could easily start five to one. Um, but um, it is a type of horse that. Yeah, you know, I think, um, you know, it has shown patchy form throughout its career as well too, but it obviously has shown the ability to um, have some pretty decent runs as well. So always, always hard horses to assess to a lot, but yeah, keep them safe early. But then if there's nothing going for it, chase it out. Personally, I think like uh, like you have, I in my markets, I put um, Lion Charmer on as favourite, but yeah. Um, yeah, mainly for that reason. But yeah, it's uh, it looks like it's it, 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 it makes leave your beast life makes it a, an interesting, a very interesting betting race to start the day. No question about it. Race number two looks like it will feature a pretty heavy favorite with number two tap dance fever. Where are you guys going to start a tap dance fever? 
Um, it is going to be close to about the three to two mark in your language. Uh, two dollars fifty on the decimal board. So uh, on the decimal system. So it's yeah, it's 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 the definite favourite. Pretty clearly in front of. The top one BB's busted at around about a fat three to one, four dollars twenty in decimals, and Misty Taste next in line at uh, around about the seven to two mark, four dollars sixty in the decimal world. So yeah, again, and, and you know, obviously Tap Dance Fever is the obvious favourite, but um, you know, quite a bit of uh, quite a, a a few challenges that I'm sure will probably have uh, have plenty of fans as well too. Yeah, it looked like the double whammy of having a bit of a class edge and a potential pace edge as well in a compact yep. field. We'll see if Tap Dance Fever able to get the lead under Sammy Camacho, who's riding at Mammoth for the first time an annual, I think he was a leading rider at Tampa Bay Downs this year, but an annual kingpin in Florida. Moving on to race I should actually three. mention on Riders No Paco Lopez at um, at um, Yeah, he's at Pimlico. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah so that's... No yeah. possible effect on the market. Well, that'll that'll allow other riders to win five of the races anyway, because he normally wins half the card. <laughs> 50 fifty percent kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. right. If you're winning half the time, it's not bad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> race number three, we shortened it back up to five and a half furlongs. These are beaten claimers. This is <laughs> was relatively wide open on paper i think you were going to start tis handsome as leave uh mark yeah just, just a tick under two to one it'll go up nick um yeah i mean look hard not to hard not to have it favorite um it was it was a pretty obvious favorite as well too but um just in spite of it if that's the correct or straight if that's the correct way to pronounce it it's uh it's clear next pick a tick over five to two, three dollars eighty in decimal language, and the next bet, next one is Act of Valor at nine to two or five dollars fifty. Yeah, it looks to me like the class edge Tiz Handsome has dropping from twenty five to sixteen should probably be a little bit too much. This is a weaker than par sixteen as well. If you use the the buyer speed figures as your speed figure language, the par in this race is seventy three. These horses have only dreamt of earning seventy three buyer speed figures, so it is going to be uh, an opportunity for Tiz Handsome to. I think grab that elusive second win. That is race number three. The fourth race, we stay on the main track at six furlongs. And so this is an interesting situation from a bookmaking perspective, I would guess, because moving pictures is the kind of horse that is four to five on the morning line. looks like a horse that on any kind of odd system is going to be pretty short. Yeah. Well, I think um, pretty much all of our price sources with a, a give or take are, are pretty much saying it's one to two. So, um, you know, I mean, it's it's pretty much everyone has everyone uh, all of the sources that we use for prices. Nick have come in with it about a twos on favourite. Um, so a dollar fifty in decimal language. Uh, next pick is Crack the Code at uh, five to one, which is obviously an interest. In, 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 sorry, at four to one, I should say for five dollars on the on the decimal. Um, and then the next pick is the other first starter, Covert Cat, at around about the seven dollar mark, six to one. But um, yeah, I think um, most people who have done prices, I mean, even I think that's a. The, I, I hadn't seen the morning line, but the fact the morning line has got a horse odds on, that's that's almost a don't even dare mark a horse odds on rule for setting a morning line, isn't it? Which is, as I've said before on the show. Um, uh, for people who aren't aware, the morning line has got unwritten law rules to it, and generally it means that horses can't be above 25 to 1 because of some convention that's been the way for quite a while. 
Uh, and usually morning lines don't see odds on horses, but the fact even the morning line is marked at odds on uh, indicates it's going to be a clear odds on. Um, look, I, I would I would even ex- the key to the key to the betting in this race is the two first starters. Uh, if there's no love for the two first starters, um, which we'll see once um, once betting opens, and uh, the Girardi stable doesn't uh, we've seen in the early stages they don't mind having a bet so. Um, we'll get a feel for it, but if there isn't if there isn't decent support for either of the first two starters, moving pitches will start shorter than a dollar fifty. But um, so each price is a function of the other two. But at the moment, um, one to two is its um, it is its price, and hard to hard to argue against unless unless one of the first starters starts um, creating uh, generating a lot of interest. Seems like a fair starting point for a very likely winner. In race number four, race five caps the win early pick five and is the featured event on the 10 race card. It is the politely five furlongs on the turf. Nice to see some turf racing at Monmouth Park. I can tell you, Dallas, that we can take the three and six out of this race, paint them blues away in honey pants. They both participated on uh, Friday afternoon at Pimlico. So they're okay, going to be cool. well, in here. So, yeah, we, well, we, we, <laughs> this may be a little recalibration on the fly. Well, considering considering I'm not using the Jesus machine that we use to recalculate calculate the odds, and I'm just looking at a um, a uh, spreadsheet, um, my market is going to mean absolutely nothing because the Honey Pants was uh, was essentially the five to two favourite, and Paint Them Blues Away was third pick at seven to two or four dollars forty. So it's probably then going to leave Robin Sparkles as the as the favourite in the race, and um, so it was. It was second favourite at three to one before the, the recalculation, so it'll probably see that come down to, she's close to three to two or thereabouts. Just uh, trying to do that very quickly in my head, maybe even shorter. Um, Nick, I am absolutely notoriously useless at what I would call thousand metre races or five furlong races, as I think I've as we've said before. I think we said last week on the preview that thousand five furlong form belongs in five in five furlong races. Throughout my life, I've never really been able to get my head around this. Um, I mean, obviously, Robin Sparkles brings probably the the number one class, but um, it is over a thousand metres or five furlongs, and that's often the domain of five five furlong horses. And um, I'm pretty sure that you'd gravitated towards them. I, I, I think you had a bit of a feel for Honey Pants before it came out, didn't you? Or um... yeah, I thought she was going to get the right kind of pace set up, but now it does look like Robin Sparkles should dominate this race on the front end, and I'm envisioning she'll be pretty tough to handle. So we could be talking about one of the shorter prices in the sequence in uh, Robin Sparkles, who gets that firm turf that she – well, firmer turf that she likes as opposed to the fall, uh, autumn, you know, heavier ground. So yeah. I, I think she'll end up being a pretty tough customer here to close it out. Yeah, lovely. No, I, yeah, look, I mean, I, I again, I, I, I marked Robin Sparkles – Personally, I marked Robin Sparkle's favourite with the other two in the race, but as I said, that's with the proviso is that um, any advice I give in five furlong races, you can throw in the bin. <laughs> well, we're definitely not going to throw your advice in the bin in general, maybe just in the five furlong yeah. turf races. Dallas, we uh, are definitely pointing towards June the bet makers day at the races we're very excited to be a part of it, and I think PTF is planning on a live show, so a lot yeah, of that should be good coming up. Should be good. I've got to. I've got to send out my invites, Nick. So uh, if there's a few people are watching and listening to this and uh, haven't got their invites, it's because I haven't sent them out from my end. So I know. I know a lot of the company ones do, but uh, I've got to. Got to get a few of them out, mate. So it's gonna. It should be a good day. Um, we're gradually building through things and uh, getting getting the getting the system 
uh, getting the system into where we where we want it to get to, which is uh, the absolute gold standard and what we what we usually try try to deliver in betmakers. Obviously, that's uh, setting up a system like we have is it's got a couple of little challenges, but nothing that stop betting going through. Just a few things in the back end, and we're just um, you know working through them as we go, and hopefully um, hopefully we'll have a really good weekend of betting. And as I said, hopefully the weather the weather does its job for us, and we can. Um, have a big weekend this weekend and then there's a huge weekend at Monmouth the following weekend with the food truck weekend and they usually get 20 or 30,000 in and the the main goal is to keep rolling through it and to to get to get fixed odds online for the uh, so everybody in New Jersey can play at it and then start uh, rolling it in in the other states as well too so more than just the people who are listening or listening and watching in New Jersey can um, start having a go at fixed odds I think the most pleasing thing from um, from what we've seen in the first uh, three race days you're seeing some great price differ- differentiations. Like, you, I would say, you know, we bet on just a tick under 30 races and probably 10 of them, the winner has almost been double the price on fixed odds. So, um, you know, people, the people who are playing and having a crack at fixed odds on course at Monmouth uh, are having a pretty good experience. So um, if, if that isn't a good thing for uh, the gamblers out there and people who, who like to have a bet on course at Monmouth, uh, I don't know what is. No question about it. Well, we're happy to be a part of it. It's definitely uh, history making without question. So Dallas, big thank you. And we'll be chatting next week, I'm sure. Look forward to it, Nick, and good luck to everyone. And um, if anyone's on course, we'll still have uh, plenty of free $5 betting vouchers. Just come up and see myself or Billy Pascrell, who'll be on on, on track tomorrow, or um, some of our street team who will, have got the brightest of brightest pink shirts on. So if you've got any questions, if you can, I mean, for the 0.01% of the audience that can get to Monmouth tomorrow, Nick, uh, if you get out there and you've got any questions, feel free to come up and ask them. And um, more than happy to uh, chat to you about all the theories and whatever else that you might need to know about fixed odds betting. A wealth of knowledge, no doubt about it. Dallas Baker, thanks again. We are going to end the show shifting back to PTF with Matt Vagbolgi for the Golden Hour Pick 4. Thank you very much, Nick. The show goes on. A couple more segments to go, starting with one covering one of our favorite bets in racing, the Golden Hour Pick 4 and the Golden Hour Double. We talk about it all the time. Industry low or darn close to industry low. Takeouts on these wagers, higher minimums that make it. They really give you a chance to get paid properly when you've got the right opinion. Let you play on a little bit more of a level playing field with some of those uh, computer algorithms out there. I want to remind folks that Santa Anita, who are sponsoring the segment, we've also got on Saturday the Preakness Challenge. $1,500 to play. You can play at Santa Anita or you can play via ExpressBet. And this is a great contest opportunity to win seats to the NHC, the BCBC, or the Pegasus contest next year. And our next guest will actually start off asking a question about this because I have a feeling he might be getting involved. I don't know. We'll find out. He is a returning guest to the show, Race Lens Power user, Matt Vagvolgi. Matt, how are things? Pete, Pete, things are good, man. Good to good to see. You. It's been a while. I feel like it's been a while since we've uh, we've done this, but no, things are good and uh, the the good racing is heating up. So that's always a good thing too. I think I over rely on you for New York at the expense of bringing you in for other tracks. You know what I mean? I have you so much during, you know, April to October when we, when we're doing the Naira stuff all the time. But the fact is you look at other tracks and with a tool like race lens, it's actually the kind of thing that I feel like gives you a little bit of a leg up when you're looking at a new circuit for the way that you can process data and look at some of the angles around. Um, that's why I thought of you, for this golden hour segment as, as evidence of that. But before we, we, before you confirm or deny what I said there, are you going to be playing in this contest on Saturday, the Preakness challenge? 
Yeah, a high high probability. Um, I do love again that they do allow more of the like on time, like like day of registrations. I always think that I think it's very important. I know it sounds like you know kind of being cheeky a bit, but no, it's important because it is, again, especially for lower buy-in. You know, it's like yeah. people could just feel froggy and say fifteen hundred, I'll play. You know, yeah. I, I wish that could get worked out. And, and and you're right. You know, obviously we work with folks over there. Um, it's feedback I'm happy to pass along, and I'm sure they've heard from, from other people as well. Well, hopefully you'll be among that list. What about my other point about uh, Race Lens as a tool to help you get familiar with a new circuit? Is that is that a game you've played in the past? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I've used it literally since it started. You know, they just made a transition, uh, bringing all of the data feeds in, in-house. So, you know, there's always uh, – I've done that with my business over the last few years, and it's never easy to uh, to do that. Um, so, you know, yeah, it's, it's really helpful to get a statistical idea of what a track looks like, some different profiles, maybe from pace angles, from post positions, like, especially I, I think it was most important during the pandemic, right? Like looking at tracks that I've never really played before going down that path of getting an idea of how different tracks are, are playing. And then I start to dig in a little bit more. I start to look at more of the jockey profiles, trainer profiles. So it's all things that you can do the research on. And the best thing is you can save all of it. So you That's don't have to cool. do it again. So as soon as I, I bring that up every morning, I look at my business revenue on one screen and I've got my, uh, my race lens stuff on the other scene. Cause I just want to see what's going on for the day. Any, any key, Angles that have been working well for me, key uh, key betting opportunities. Even if it's at the track, I, I don't really play much. I want to know what's out there, and it gives me my first entry into uh, what what the day ahead is uh, in in the racing world. Nothing's official yet, but we've got a deal in the works. We might be uh, having you talk a lot more about this stuff on these airwaves, and especially with the expansion of our YouTube channel and the ability to share some screenshots. I think we can have a little bit of fun with it. But the fun we're going to have today yeah. is diving into these Golden Hour Pick Four races. Starts off. Wow, it starts off late today. Did you see how late the sequence goes? This is going to be a, a real get-out thing. You'll have time to recover from the Preakness, win, lose, or draw, and, and then come back and, and take a shot at this uh, at this bet that uh, that looks like I'm actually seeing two different times. What is the start time you're seeing for the for the? I'm seeing nine o'clock as uh, as as first post for race nine at uh, at Santa Anita. I'm seven. seeing it as nine in one place and eight in another, which always gives me yeah. hard. So check local really, listings. Eight sounds a yeah. lot more right, but I'm seeing nine yeah. in one place and eight in another. Anyway, it kicks off at Santity to race nine. That I can tell you indubitably. And it's the misdirection stakes going six and a half down the hill, this field of six. How do you want to get this thing started off? I'm not going to be incredibly creative. I just, I don't see how uh, the four legs glory loses um i I, th- I think this is a perfect race not only in terms of the distance that i love that going going a mile you know that route distance coming back to this down the hill at six and a half that profile has worked incredibly well um i, I just think she's gonna get the the setup that she wants she wants to be on the front end um she's proven to have those what i call the um you know like locomotive pace angle where it's or where it's like Every early, middle, and late, it just gets better and better, and and just I think we'll slow it down in the front end, get get to the front end naturally, and and bring it home with a nice triple digit late pace figure uh, on on my end. Um, I just find it very, I just I find it difficult with uh, the horse's profile. Eight to five. If anyone wants to book that with me, give me uh, give me a buzz. Uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll happy to jump in on that. Um, but that's not legal yet, by the way. There's a lot yeah, of getting legal, but that's not legal yet. 
<laughs> right, right. But hey, if anyone wants to, if everyone wants to do a little side deal, that's fine with me. But you know, uh, Damato in the spot too. It's just there's so many things going for this horse. I, I know it's going to be an incredibly short price. I just find it very difficult for for Lace Galore to lose. So I'm going to do a lone A. That's it in terms of 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 my plays. Horse, other horses to look at. I mean, I think the two uh, with with Juan Hernandez here, my prayer, um, will sit close. So if there's any kind of fitness issue for some reason or trouble trip, I think that's the next horse that I think that can really be in a good spot. Um, and then I think, you know, maybe maybe the five as well, uh, Royal Address, just has closed, into, has closed into slow paces. So shows a nice late pace figure in those slow races. So could be heard from late, but for me, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go alone, uh, alone with the four here with uh, legs galore in uh, the first leg on the plus notes. I will note two and five for underneath for vertical players, but mm-hmm. I'm with you. I mean, just looking at this race so quickly, it just seems like everything suits legs galore. The, the, the success of the D'Amato barn third off the layoff, love the cutback, love the course and distance success. I'm going to keep it simple with the idea that if it all goes wrong, we'll come back in the golden hour double. The second leg of the pick four, though, we head north to Golden Gate for race number eight and these 20,000 claimers going six on the synthetic. What you going to do in here? Uh, these races are tough. I mean, it's it's you. I would say a lot tougher when you get towards the like the five and ten claiming races on the synthetic at Golden Gate. Um, I'm not a proponent of the all button, but man, I'm telling you, you, you don't have to convince me otherwise with some of these races, uh, you know, just buying. I've seen some crazy, crazy results. This is a little bit different, but I still think a bit of a, a bit of a head scratcher. I mean, the horses that I'm going to use here, I'm going to go with the seven, which I believe is Anders Dream. I believe that's how you say that. Um, again, I think can can park off the pace uh, going six, and, and just this horse likes to sit in that that particular spot. Um, so again, second off the layoff, uh, you know, speed and fade. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, if if you look at it from uh, just sitting off the pace can be close can sit back off of it as well um i i think this horse can make uh, make a nice run late so again not a horse i'm gonna completely rely on but I, it's one i certainly want to use as as an a um the one on down at the rail that's the one that's second off the layup that i wanted to jump to uh the little h man um i just feel fits with this group um you know i pulled a, you know, a couple nice uh, a couple nice stats here one in particular um, I, I do like uh, I do like Frank Alvarado on this horse um, as well. You know, speed and fade last out, but you know if you look at it on a trainer perspective, that first uh, or that uh, that that first start after a 45 day layoff, uh, 155 start, 21 percent uh, win percentage, 52 percent in the money. So and it's a it's a negative three percent ROI, but that's still pretty good, right? So these horses are getting bet. Medium win range is 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 six dollars and sixty cents on on the win end. So. I think this horse gets bet again. I think second off the layoff fits. I, I like Alvarado on this horse. So again, uh, certainly a horse that's going to be competitive and in there as well. Um, I'm also going to look at the six. I'm not fully sold on this horse. I just love it again in terms of on a, on a trainer, uh, a trainer side with, with, um, with Jonathan Wong, you know, again, I didn't think that race was fantastic. The last out on the synthetic gets another shot, right? Second chance on the synthetic, I think fits with this group comes right back to this level again uh, in a very short period of time. So under that 30 days. So, you know, what I looked at here, you know, if you look at it from second off the claim, less than 30 days back, this is a move that, that Wong likes to make. If really feels he's got a horse that is competitive and can run at that same level, gets him right back. So I wanted to see the numbers on that. 
191 starts, 34% wins, 71% in the money in a positive 1% ROI. So the numbers work there. I think this is a spot I'm not necessarily in love with the horses, you know, when looking at it on a qualitative standpoint of looking at the, the races this horse has run, but I certainly want to throw, uh, throw that horse uh, in there as well. Um, in the, I was a one B I'll throw in there is the two strut to the wire again, just been competitive. I feel can, uh, can sit close to the pace and maybe have a late run. So my A's are going to be uh, the seven one six. And then I'm going to back up with, uh, with the two as well. That's an interesting way to use stats that I like that we've talked about um, that you're coming up with, with furry cap. It's a spread race and you're looking for a reason to include a long shot. And at that point, the form of the horse becomes much less relevant because of the stat. I really, I really like that worldview as opposed to um, using a stat. You know, too often you'll hear a stat to prop up an opinion or a stat to knock a long shot. And that doesn't, uh, that does not work for me nearly as well. I actually found, I don't know what I, what I was reading that, 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 that this came up, but there was a fantastic quote about statistical use in general. I had put aside to, uh, to to share with the audience. You don't want to use, this is a paraphrase of, of a politician, I think, called Andrew Lang from the early 20th century. Um, you don't want to use statistics in the same way that a drunk uses lampposts for support rather than illumination. I thought that was kind of like good. You like that? I like it. I like it. And that's, but there's a lot of truth to that though. And that's why, why like my, my, horse racing, you know, betting on horses is more of a 50, 50 quantitative qualitative analysis. Right. And I think that's why I enjoy it so much because there is the visual side of it. There is things that you could pull out just by experience and maybe, you know, add or subtract some of those statistical angles. There's times where I see a lot of angles I like pop up, but I don't like it because the pace scenario is going to be totally different. Right. Doesn't really fit for that particular race where like my sports betting is almost like 80, 20, you know, uh, statistical to, to qualitative. So I think the combination of the two is certainly important. And, and again, in a race like this, it helps you like, I, like I, I'm not a fan of the all button, but I am at times doing a graded all where this helps. Like if I can find a statistical angle that I, a trusted trainer angle, that sort of thing, I can start to group different horses and, and, and wager on them differently rather than just pushing the, you know, the all button for a base wager, right. And, and yeah. valuing every horse exactly the same. So this is where I think where the statistical side helps in, in some of these confusing races. I think that makes perfect sense. I was with you on the top when you mentioned, I'll probably try to work in some of the others based on your say so, but the seven handers dream, I just thought was very likely to get the best trip in this spot. And it's a significant drop in class as well. So based on those two ideas and, and, if this morning line is of seven to two is accurate, I think that's a fair price on a horse like Hander Street. Let's go back down south to talk about Santa Anita's nightcap, which, of course, will kick off the golden hour double. If the first uh, pick four hasn't worked out or if you want to top up, you can get back involved here in race number 10 at Santa Anita with these $50,000 claimers going three and up one mile on the turf. Who do you like in here? I'm going to go with a, with a few horses on, on the A line. I really like, excuse me. I really like the four uh, camaraderie. I, I really like this horse a lot with, uh, with Sadler and, and Juan Hernandez again, not the best races coming out of, but I feel like falls into a group that is probably, I would say in terms of competition, it goes all the way back to 2020 when this horse won at a mile and an eighth. I think it's a similar class of horses, right. Coming out of an allowance rank and, and down into the claiming ranks. I think, finds a group that can be really competitive. I think one will have this horse 
a bit closer than than say what's projected on uh, on time form. So I think you're going to see this horse move a little bit uh, more forward. So uh, I, again, I, I I like the run style. I like the positioning on a pace perspective. Hoping that Juan gets this horse more involved. So. That's the horse I'm going to lean on. I'm going to have some tickets where I'm going to single this horse. It'll be part of the A group, but I'm going to lean a bit on here. In terms of the double, um, I will have this horse, you know, highlighted as as a key play. And, and, and I think this is the ultimate, uh, the ultimate get out wager uh, for Saturday. Um, I, I might be a little blurry eyed by the time I get here, but uh, <laughs> it'll certainly be a nice way to uh, to end the day, and especially nice when I like a I like a horse in a particular race. Um, I, I wanted to, I wanted to like the eight overdue. I just feel this horse gives it up on the front end. Um, that is an angle usually at San Anita. I like that can get to a nice comfortable lead going a mile. Uh, but I don't know if this horse has enough to, uh, to stay involved there. Um, you know, I, I am also going to use, uh, the number one, uh, border town as well. Um, you know, some, some interesting trainers, trainer stats here for, uh, for Callahan, just, you know, if you look at it in terms of, you know, uh, look at it, you know, in terms of a, a start between like 40 to 60 days off the layoff. I mean, just, just fantastic numbers. Um, but I would say one number that really jumps out the last 30 days, these I'm more, I give a little bit more credence to both trainers and jockeys in, you know, how they're progressing in a, maybe a shorter period of time, maybe not the biggest sample, but a, an early sense of a jockey heating up or a barn starting to heat up. But again, if you look at it in terms of, of that, you know, the last 30 days, you know, 40% winners, with a nice $5 and 20 cent ROI. So certainly a barn that's moving forward connected with, uh, with, uh, Drayden Van Dyke, they're 50% with an $8 and 60 cent ROI. So certainly a connection from the jockey and from a jockey trainer standpoint, uh, but also to, I think a horse that, that fits, I think a horse that fits this group, um, you know, probably should sit right off that pace and, and should get first run, uh, coming into the lane. So I want to use the four is going to be my top play, but another a I will use is the, is the one, uh, border town. And I think another horse that you can't, uh, you can't dismiss I, again, first start off a long layoff. I, I get it just was not visually impressive at all. Um, again, comes back in, in a much, much, uh, much cheaper competition here. Um, again, I think it gets back to some of those earlier efforts before that layoff can be a big player. I just think may have too much to do here. I don't see an incredibly fast pace up front. So I think this horse is going to really have to make up considerable ground has proven to close in the slow paces, but I just think with this group might be a little bit too far off of it, but I don't want to get beat by this horse. So I want to include the, uh, the seven in there as well. So the four and one are going to be my A's with the seven backed up as a B. All right. So yeah, the seven who is called coast of Roan, the one yes. had that disappointing run off the layoff, but you know, dropping in class here. And, and I, I take your point. I was going to go with overdue. And the logic was, I agree with what you're saying about giving it up, uh, but against better. You know, I think this is a significantly weaker race. You can argue a bit of second off the layoff here and maybe enough of a long shot that the other riders uh, give Cidio too much rope on the front end. I, I thought the eight was interesting. I noticed the, uh, you know, border town definitely interesting. Odd off the Mandela claim, but the Callahan barn going very well, as you said. And, you know, he's really improved his numbers overall out in California. And I, I think we'll get a dream trip if the eight does give it up. I think the one could fluke into a perfect trip and your enthusiasm, I'll admit I didn't come up with camaraderie, but your enthusiasm for camaraderie makes me definitely want to use that one as well. We are nearly out of time. We have one race left to discuss. That race is back up at Golden Gate. We've got an allowance race going a mile and a 16th on the synthetic. How are we going to get paid? 
So again, I think another difficult race. Uh, no, no surprise at uh, at at Golden Gate. But uh, you know, again, I'm gonna I'll use a few here uh, as well. Um, I'll start with um, I'll start with the uh, the five, which is something that uh, I'm always interested in, but uh, also interested in the horse, which is um, which is wine and whiskey. Again, another uh, another uh, Jonathan Wong runner here that I think is going to be extremely tough to uh, tough to beat. Again, we'll be stuck behind a bit of a slow pace. I do agree with Timeform's rating here on this race, but again, I think this is the level where this horse competes. I think we'll sit a nice trip, uh, nice trip right behind the the, the leader. Which, again, I, I wanted to use uh, the six, and uh, but I just think again, I, it's a propensity to give it up late, and I feel like these are the races on the synthetic at Golden Gate. It's rare you see these horses, especially even setting slow paces that wind up, uh, wind up in, in the winner's circle. So I'm just going to take that kind of as just playing this bet so often. It's one of those things that's burned into my memory. So, uh, I'm going to trust, uh, uh, wine and whiskey, uh, to, to come off the, come off the pace a bit and, and to get the job done as an, a, uh, another horse that, that I certainly would like to use here as well is, um, is number seven, a uh, bottle of smoke. Um, again, very competitive. This is, this is a nice group. Uh, we'll, we'll sit right in that same spot, similar, I would say similar profile as, as the five wine and whiskey. Uh, but again, I, I just think, uh, can, can sit a nice trip and has a, a very big spread in terms of a late pace figure. So it's the only horse that I have with a triple digit late pace figure is, is very, very lucrative on, on these, uh, on these routes on, on the synthetic staying close and just that nice late kick late. So that's a horse I certainly want to have involved, uh, on the a line. Um, a couple of B's that I certainly would include. I think the, uh, you know, the, the two, uh, rock till you drop, I think is interesting. Um, another big late pace figure, um, should be a decent price as well. I think probably goes up from that, uh, that five to one morning line. Um, but again, it's proven to, to close into some slow paces, you know, can be right there in the end, just might have a little too much to do, but if this race falls apart, that's certainly a horse that, that I want to look at. Um, and, and like I mentioned, you know, the, the six could certainly sealed on the front end. So those, those are the, the, the A's I'm going to go five, seven with the A's and I'm going to, I'm going to back it up with the, uh, the two and six, uh, on, on the, uh, on the B line. Our A line is the same and it's just all about projected trips in the spot. I agree. You know, Descartes doesn't have the, a drop in class excuse really either. Seems like we'll probably just be a sitting duck. Who's going to get the best trip, the five and the seven. So you know, despite names that you could accuse me of using uh, as a hunch play, big fan that I am of Isla whiskeys and uh, whiskey in general and wine in general, we're going to go with wine and whiskey and a bottle of smoke as well. Five and seven to close it out. When I was thinking of the person to do this segment, I thought, who's sick enough to be up till uh, nearly 10 o'clock at night, continuing to bet on a Preakness day that starts at 1030 a.m. The first name that left to mind, Matt McVolge. Thank you, my friend. Absolutely. And I will certainly be doing that. That's that's for sure. All right, Matt, thank you so much. We've got our next guest in the green room and we're going to bring him in because we've got a big weekend, not just in North America as it pertains to these uh, as it pertains to to the, 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 the racing this weekend. We've got great stuff happening in in Japan as well, um, talking specifically about the Japanese oaks. And to chat about the Japanese Oaks with us, we now bring in, uh, he's muted. I want to point that out. I, th I think he might have done that himself. He's uh, we're going to bring in from Woodbine Racing. Today, Klaus Ebner. Klaus, how are things? Hello, Pete. What's going on? Life is good, man. Very excited to have you. Same. Great to be here. It's a uh, very big weekend and, uh, on both sides of the ocean. 
Indeed, indeed. Do you have a quick preakness thought before we dive into the Japanese stuff? Uh, still kind of diving through everything, but uh, I will certainly be playing against Epicenter and uh, Secret Oath. So uh, I, I'll, I'll go against those two, and uh, I'm getting. I'm probably going to play a little bit with Skippy. So we'll see what I can do with him. So. I'm interested in that Skippy horse to get somewhere, but I, I'm a little surprised. I feel like it's been largely a chorus on the network with people and their enthusiasm for Epicenter. Is it that reason alone that you're opposed, or, or do you do you see some sort of chink in the armor here? No, I just for me, I, I don't I don't want any part of six to five or whatever odds is going to be. So, uh, looking elsewhere, you know, last year, I think, you know, people thought of Ron Bauer a little bit, but he came out of the out, for me out of the blue. You know, he ran, ran a respectable effort. I think it was the Bluegrass before that uh, that previous effort. So, yeah, for me, I just I can't play six to five shots. Uh, I think the Philly has some qualities, but I don't I don't I don't think she gets it done. So, yeah, I'll look elsewhere. I like it. I mean, I'll be, you know, from an approach point of view, that that's the Mark Twain quote, difference of opinion is what makes horse races. For me, six to five on Epicenter would be the value of bet of the year. I expect him to be, <laughs> I'd make him three to five in the race and, and would probably bet it four to five. But, you know, that's what, that's, that's where the fun is. But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to look to uh, the Far East and, and the JRA. And we've got a really important, historically significant race in, in the Japanese Oaks, uh, typically a pointer of some some horses who've gone on to do some pretty special things. Hey, indeed, it's really uh, a barometer of, of you know, the, the top class horses in Japan. You know, we saw Love's Only You win in in, in uh, North America last year. And yeah, she she participated in, in that race in, in her in her three-year-old career. So, you know, again, it's, it's a lot of, you know, see a lot of quality horses in there, you know, so a lot of the, a lot of them at, uh, left the Oaks last year. The winner went to uh, Dubai to race. So again, you may you may see some of these horses on foreign shores, and at least it kind of provides you some sort of form references. But yeah, this uh, this crop here looks pretty good in terms of the uh, the field we have assembled for Saturday. How's the field Sunday. shaping shaping up? How many does it look like are going to go postward? Now, obviously, you'll be closer to the time able to be providing analysis and past performances even over on InTheMoneyPodcast.com. But from uh, from a from a full more than a full day out how's it shaping up so the one good thing about both the oaks and the derby and some of the much larger grade ones in japan or group ones whatever you want to call them uh, is that they do that they do the draw early in japan so that's you know wednesday their time so usually we get it pretty soon and sure enough the the draw happened and looking at it at least on, on first glance i've gone through you know most of the the horses in the race so far which is good because they've already drawn both positions and it's interesting so in the oka show which is the first jewel the thousand guineas in japan all the favorites drew on the outside. Well, guess what? The, the winner that won the Oka show, the Thousand Guineas, drew the 18 again. So it's just been both instances this year where, you know, in, in both legs, you had the favorites on the far outside. And yeah, it's a mile and a half race. So obviously there's time for the, the horse on the outside being stars on earth. She's the winner of the, of the 1,000 Guineas in Japan. She's drew 18 of 18. Uh, and what's interesting with her as well is the fact that her jockey who won on her, you don't see this very often in Japan, but he's booked off to her, uh, off of her to ride another horse in the race who's going to be one of the longer prices. So quite interesting in that case there. Uh, no, the, the fact of the matter that uh, she did pick up Christophe Lemaire is, is not a bad thing at all. So if, there could be worse things than, than picking up Christophe Lemaire as your, as your jockey. But, you know, it's, again, just a lot of interesting things here when you have the, the winner come winner from the 1,000 guineas come back in the, in the Oaks and draw the 18 and then lose your jockey to another horse. So, Interesting, quite interesting in that sense. And, uh, you know, we do have the, the, some of the top finishers in the Oka show returning here to the Oaks. Uh, some of them will be favored, but, I, you know, with, with the Oaks, the Oka show being 
at uh, a mile and the oak, the Japanese oaks being a mile and a half, I do think a lot of the horses that were in that uh, Oka show were, are really more milers than they are mile and a half horses. So a lot of them I will be looking elsewhere than at some of those top finishers. Do you have an early wagering thought on this? Have you seen any any projected odds? Is it too early for that? I mean, obviously there'll be time for proper selections on the on the uh, in the in the money players excuse me in the money podcast.com website on Saturday. But uh, what can you tell us as far as that goes now? Sure. Yeah. So they're actually you know the, the PPs are there. You can you know if you go to JapanRacing.jp, you can order like, look at some of the PPs. They're all done in alphabetical order, but still you can get an idea in terms of who's who and what they've done in the past and, and based on that you know I, I've, I've, i'm starting to form some of an opinion so far and for me uh my number one or my a selection will still be circle of life this is the uh, two-year-old champion from last year another horse who was drawn in 16 of 18 last time out in the oka show or a thousand guineas i thought she ran a credible race had the fastest closing time you know a little over 33 seconds for three furlongs so she was closing uh you know she's bred to go this distance her jock won this event last year being rick romero She'll be, you know, have more than enough chance to show her, her closing kick in a mile and a half versus a strict a strict mile. And I just think that, you know, she'll be overlooked a little bit just because her form cycle is a little muddied by what she's done so far in 2022, finishing, you know, third and fourth. So I think the value could be there. She drew inside this time finally. So she finally has a good post here. Uh, she, she, she ready to go the distance, should, should relish a mile and a half. So I think for me, she'll be my number one selection being Circle of Life. And another horse is just the one we were kind of speaking of slightly with the fact that, you know, Yuka Kawada, who's one of the leading jocks in Japan, looked off of uh, the winner to ride a horse called Art House. So Art House for me will be pr- primarily my second choice. Uh, she won a list of stakes last time out at a mile and a quarter. But you can kind of see why Yuka Kawada, he, he rode her in that last race, which was a listed uh, stakes race, Pete, and she went on, she went under wraps. So just a visually impressive effort. Uh, she showed that she has much more left in the tank. She's by screen hero who was a long distance horse out of a mare who was great at stakes placed. So lots to like there again, only making her fourth career start. So I, lots of like the sky's limit with her as well. So those are pretty much the two in terms of circle of life and art house who are two of the, the prime horses. I'll be keying all of my selections and, uh, and, and the ground. So we know for a fact that Lemaire chose the other horse. It's not like in the States where sometimes you don't always in the stakes race, you'll typically hear the news truth truthfully, but a lot of times people try to play the jockey musical chairs game and you don't exactly know what happened. But we know this was a clear chase of a clear case of making that choice. I really believe so. Just because of, of again, going back and watching the replay of what our art house did in that listed stakes, she split horses and just took off, accelerated almost under no urging one for fun and a mile and a quarter. So I really don't, you know, for me, this is more of a horse I'm kind of rubbing my hands about that kind of says, you know, hey, not everyone had the ability to watch those replays. So this is one for me that's really uh, certainly on my radar and one to watch for the weekend. Well, it's great info, Klaus, and we appreciate having you here on the airwaves. You'll be back for the Derby next week, or maybe we'll bring in somebody else to talk pre-Derby and we'll bring you back in to recap both Oaks and Derby as I make a we do our production meeting in the middle of the show here. One or the other of those scenarios will, will play out, and we're going to keep following this season in the JRA. The, the Look, obviously JRA are a sponsor, but it's more than just that. It, it just makes sense with the impact that these runners are having all around the world, and I like the idea of incorporating more recapping this year as well so we can keep our notes going and have a chance to, to get ahead of it as uh, Japan continues to conquer the world of horse racing. 
Yeah. So just so you know, Pete, so I'm, I'm actually headed off over to Sweden for their, uh, for their big race next week, which is the uh, Elite Law, uh, which is one of the biggest harness races in the world. So yeah, I'll be on the other side of the Atlantic myself. I know usually, usually you're the one doing that in terms <laughs> of hopping across the Atlantic, but uh, it'll, it'll be me this time in Sweden. So looking forward to that. But yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll fix our schedules to make sure we can uh, do some. Yeah, or we can give you a week off. We can, we can, we, can bring, <laughs> you know, we have other important members of the team. I, I don't want you, you know, having to, I don't know how much of work this is work and how much is vacation for you, but we'll, we'll figure it out. I want to hear more about that too. That sounds fascinating, but really appreciate your time today and look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thanks, Pete. Happy day. Excellent. Cheers to Klaus. And uh, with that, we're going to wrap this edition of the show. I want to thank Klaus one more time. We'll thank Nick Tamaro, Dallas Baker, Matt Vagvolgi, Jessica Paquette. Um, I think I said Nick Tamaro already, but he did like four segments on the show. So we'll thank him again. That was great stuff from him. We'll thank our founding partners over at the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation, trfinc.org uh, slash players and 10 Strike Racing. Looking forward to hanging with Team 10 Strike this Preakness weekend. How many times do you think the name Warriors Charge is going to come up? I'd say a lot. Um, Anyway, we are, we're done. That's it. We'll thank uh, Craig, of course, for all his work. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. Our business manager is Drew Cotney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May you win all your photos.